Shapers on Jazz FM. Listen in color. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Etta James, and I'd rather go blind. Good morning, it's me, Elliot Moss, here on Jazz FM's Jazz Shapers, the place where you can hear the very best of the people who are shaping the world of jazz, soul and blues, alongside their equivalents in the world of business, a business shaper. My business shaper this morning is Dr. Stephen Fear, a doctor in business administration, an entrepreneur in residence, or rather the entrepreneur in residence at the British Library, as well as a noted entrepreneur, famous for the red telephone box, which we will be talking about later, coming up from Stephen. In addition to be hearing from him, you'll also be hearing from our programme partners some words of advice for your business from Mishkondorea. And on top of all of that, some brilliant music from the shapers of jazz, soul and blues, including Madeline Peru, Neil Cowley and this from the new album from Dr John. That was When You're Smiling from Dr. John from the album Skit Dat Didat, The Spirit of Satch, which, of course, a tribute to Louis Armstrong. That's his middle name for those of you that didn't know. And for those of you that did, well done. I am with Stephen Fear this morning here on Jazz Shapers. And as I said earlier, he is the guy who is now what's called the Entrepreneur in Residence at the British Library, has been in the world of entrepreneurism for probably more than 40 years, give or take, and very luckily is with me this morning. Thank you very much for joining me, Stephen. Morning, Elliot. Tell me, um, you started working at the age of 15. Uh, well, younger than that, uh, actually. Um, my first sort of uh, move into uh, creating a business was younger than that. Um, I, uh, I really ended in a situation, my, my childhood was quite disenf- uh, disenfranchised. Um, not because of, my mother and father were divorced and it was, they were difficult times. I lived between my mother's place, which was a small caravan, touring caravan, in a place in Wiltshire called Malmesbury, and my father's one-bed council flat in Bristol. And so I'd never lived in one place very long, and I, and they never spoke for 30 years after their divorce. So as a child, the negotiation about where I would live, where I would go, what I would do, was me negotiating between the both of them. So because of that, I managed to not go to school too often. So uh, I started to create businesses um, for some to, to do something, you know, as a drive. So my first business was really... Um, the first business I ever had was a cafe when I was 12 or 13 when I took over a uh, shop that was derelict. And in those days, uh, Malmesbury was sort of fairly isolated town in rural Wiltshire. That was uh, the, the motorway didn't reach there. Um, so all the lorries would drive on the A roads and they would stop at Malmesbury in the Cross Hayes. 
and uh, which is a big parking area. And there was a derelict shop which we sort of purloined, turned into a cafe and used to make coffees and sandwiches and all sorts of stuff and flog them to the... Uh, to the lorry drivers. Now we're going to go back right mm. I mean f- back to that point and then move onwards as well but just to c- to clarify for everyone you are now as I said the entrepreneur in residence of the British Library and you also are in charge of along with your son the Fear Group which is a, a kind of a property business and a multifaceted business empire in fact sure. as it is called as I've been I've, I've been reliably informed <laughs> you're into green technology hotels residential care manufacturing what um brings all these things together for you in a nutshell what is it that you've is it just simply that right back from when you did your first business you've kind of had an eye for what might make a bit of money yeah i think the common denominator originally uh elliot was me um the common denominators now are myself and leon my son um as sometimes uh, leon will sometimes say to me do me a favor dad can you not go out for a few days because we're still trying to digest the stuff we're already doing Um, I've always had this sort of things come up, you know, ideas come up. Um, You may be in a cafe, someone mentions something to you. Uh, I might just have a chat about it and think that might be a good idea. If we put that together with that, it might make a business. And then we start looking at how that might develop. We look um, uh, 30 odd years ago, I created an office which is actually based in South Wales, which uh, analyzes trends. So we look at what's happening around the world, hotspots, and try to work out where the next hotspot is. Sounds absolutely perfect for any budding entrepreneur. Find out lots more from my business shaper, Stephen Fear. Time for some music. And aptly, this is Sparkling from the Neil Cowley Trio. That was the Neil Cowley trio. Stephen Fear, entrepreneur at large, is my business shaper today, entrepreneur in residence at the British Library, serial entrepreneur from the age of 12 through to 15 and on and on to your age now. No, we're not going to mention young. that specifically now. Young. He looks very young to me. <laughs> you were talking just before um, the music about um, what it was that you kind of do now, which is there's trends around and you, you tap into stuff and ideas, hmm. you know, percolate up and down and left and right. And it sounds like your son is trying to keep you under control and quite rightly. Was that, what do you think defined for you being an entrepreneur before probably you were called an entrepreneur when you were in your teens? Uh, what were the I, characteristics of Stephen Fear back then? I think the, the characteristics was uh, interest. I've always been interested in people, uh, things, uh, events, what you know, what's happening in the world, general knowledge. Um, I used to because I, I I could never have a paper round as other people would have because I didn't live in one place long enough. I lived partly in Bristol with my dad, uh, partly in Malmesbury with my mum. And uh, so I was always uh, moving from one place to the other, which is why I missed out on a lot of schooling. Um, and I had a, I, I was hyperactive, so I had a, a seriously hyperactive. So I had a sort of a, a desire to always be on the move doing different things. And the only time that I was ever really uh, calm would be if I was reading. So as soon as I get a book, um, it changes. And it's always been like that. And if I, you know... I'll read a matchbox if I have to. It's got to be something. It's just a, a, one of these things. Do, my, do you think, just on that point about mm. being hyperactive, because many of the people I interview talk about that, it may not use that word, but they say, I've got a very small attention span, but I've got lots of energy. 
Is that something you grow out of, or is it simply something you know how to manage better as you get older? Uh, I think you learn to manage it. Um, I was fortunate in as much as my mother was a, uh, an avid reader, um, but she read paperback fiction. She didn't read anything really serious, uh, but she taught me to speed read uh, when I was... I, I never remember not reading from a very young child, and she taught me to speed read, so I was able to read relatively fast. Uh, so I would re- get through things and, and take them on board, and then I would apply them to a business position. I mean, uh, because I couldn't have a paper round in one place, what I would do is... Uh, I'd go to a, a, a paper shop in the morning, wherever I was, um, especially a wet morning, if it was November, January, and I'd go and see the person putting the papers up and say, you know, have any of the paper boys not turned up this morning? And the guy would invariably say, oh, three, you know. I'd say, well, I, do you want somebody to do the round for you? And they'd say, yes. And I'd say, that's fine. It's three times the amount. What do you normally pay? And they'd say, X. And I'd say, well, it's three times the amount. <laughs> and the guy would say... Uh, no, 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 we only have this going rate. And I'd say, no, 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 but your paperboy isn't here. It's not going to happen. It isn't going to happen. You've got me or nothing. Do you want the paper round done? And I can tell you many times, Elliot, they would chase me down the road, having me having walked away from the deal, and then chasing me down the road in the rain, saying, no, come back, come back, I'll give you twice. And I'd say, no, it's got to be three times. And we'd agree a rate. And then they'd always say, okay, here's the papers, put them up. This is, you know, this is where you've got to go the route. And I'd say, money... And they'd say, no, no, we, we pay you at the end of the... No, 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 you've got to pay up front. I'm not going to go and do the paper round in the lashing rain, freezing cold, come back, and then at the end of the week you say, can only give you the standard rate. You see, and this is why Stephen <laughs> Fear is a successful entrepreneur. Stay with me for lots more brilliant negotiation tactics as well as a lot of other things you're going to hear that are going to amaze you about this man and his famous red telephone box, more of which you will also hear about. Latest travel in the meantime, though, and before that, some words of wisdom from our programme partners at Mishkondare for your business. Hi, I'm Kevin McCarthy. I'm a corporate lawyer with Mishkondare. I specialise in private equity and mergers and acquisitions for quite a broad range of clients. I think one of the important things when parties go into business together or when they're considering going into business together is really to get clear their objectives um, and manage one another's expectations in advance of starting down a process. Um, I think you know, very often parties want to be in business or in partnership together without really thinking about what that means. Um, how that might change the businesses which they currently have, what it's going to do for the culture of their businesses, um, and even just something as simple as, you know, what's the time frame going to be? You know, if you're going on holiday and you want to do a deal, then you want to think about things as mundane as that because it really does get in the way of uh, the deal happening or at least happening within the, 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 the way you want it to. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You're listening to Jazz Shapers here on Jazz FM every Saturday morning from 9am. Book your ticket early so you can get in and hear some brilliant business shapers talking to me. If you miss any, you can go to iTunes. If you happen to be on a British Airways flight, lucky you, you can listen to one of those as well, or cityam.com or even ft.com. Lots of places for you to catch some brilliant people and insight as well. Stephen Fear is my business shaper today. He's a doctor, he's an entrepreneur in residence, and he is also a very successful entrepreneur, as you've been hopefully hearing. Hearing. You apparently sold your first business, Stephen, for 100,000 quid, and apparently you did it from this red telephone box. Just tell me, <laughs> let's get this thing out of the way. What is it about this telephone box on this estate in, in Bristol? Uh, is it true? It is true. Go on then, tell us the yeah, story. Yeah, it's absolutely. 
Um, basically, we didn't have a phone. Um, none of my family had a phone uh, and many other things that many people would have thought they should have. So the only way I knew, thing I knew about a phone was there was one at the end of the road where my dad lived and on a council estate. So I went up to the phone box and the people were in the States. So it ended up with me getting through to the States, getting the rights for the fluid. It took two or three months to get it. It was uh, a bit protracted. Did they um, know you were 14? No. They right, had so no you, idea. They thought you were this adult, this proper guy in the UK, doing, finding a, a gap in the market yeah. where they were. Okay. They didn't know I was 14 until I was 24. Because <laughs> uh, okay. I, I, I knew them for a long time. Okay. But basically, uh, I, I grew the business. I, I built the business from, uh, from nothing. Um, it, was, it worked. It did what it said on the tin. And that's an important thing, I think, for entrepreneurs to remember. Um, it did actually work. Um, and then when I was 19, I managed to sell the business for 100000 uh, which was quite a lot, a lot of money then. And I went on to, uh, to invest those proceeds in other businesses and in property and started to build a property business from that. Just before we, we, we go to some music, just uh, you mentioned there the product was important. It had to work. What were the other couple of things that you learned from your first proper foray into building a company up and selling it, even though you were 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old? What were the other big characteristics of that deal, as it were? Uh, being prepared to pick the phone up, um, having the self-confidence to do it, because I suppose I had nothing to lose, so why not? And consistency. I think it's very, very important for entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs, and I say this at the British Library, to be consistent. You have to be consistent with delivery. People want to know that if you're going to give advice or you're going to deliver a product or a service, that it's actually going to be delivered. You do what you say on the tin. Brilliant. That's fantastic. Much more coming up from Steve and my business shaper today. Time for some music. This is from Madeline Peru, and it's You're Gonna Make Me Lonesome When You Go. That was You're Going to Make Me Lonesome When You Go from Madeline Peru. Stephen Fears, my business shape. And Stephen, we've been talking about your first deal and the, the famous road telephone box, which was true in the fact that you uh, didn't have your own phone and you used it. And you said, you got the, you said, well, I asked you the messages, the quest, the big things that came out, the self-confidence to do it, pick up the phone, consistency, the product's got to work. You've now been in the game of building companies and making money and building more companies and making money. Um, and you're now in a position where you're actually helping educate a whole new generation of entrepreneurs. Beyond those messages, what else is important to the community of budding entrepreneurs that you remind them of every time you get a chance to? Uh, well, one of the, th- the thing I, I preach more than anything, I, I hate the word preach, but I suppose that's what it is, I go on about it, is keeping your overhead low. I think one of the mistakes that entrepreneurs generally, and young entrepreneurs particularly make, is to take on too much overhead particularly fixed overhead, but even flexible overhead, too soon. Um, There's often no need. You know, uh, these days we live in the age of mobile communication. Um, I wrote an article just recently for uh, about iPad um, and about how that's just one thing, but it could be tablet or laptop or anything, you know, not necessarily any brand. Um, mobile communications are key. So I always say much cheaper to work from Starbucks on your laptop 
than rent an office on a fixed overhead that you don't need. And to, but, so it's important to not overstep that. Go out and and, and better things, uh, you know, more expensive things can wait until you're more stable. Um, so work from home for as long as you can. Um, I even say to people if they're working in a job and they're developing a business of their own alongside the job, I don't think it's fair on the business if it's competing. I don't think I don't think that's right. I don't think they should do that. But if it's a business that isn't competing, then I would always say say to people that are starting with limited capital, keep your day job as long as you can or you lose your cash flow. Build your cash flow up on your business before you disengage from something that's going to support your family. So you have to remember those things. So I think that's important. Those things are important lessons. Very good. We'll have our final chat with Stephen Plus Bay Track from Brendan Riley. That's after the latest traffic and travel here on Jazz FM. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Sabor and me from Brendan Riley. Just for a few more precious minutes, Stephen, fear is my business shaper. And you've been hearing all sorts of things from Stephen way back when he was on uh, filling in for other people's paper rounds on, a, on, on account of him being very peripatetic at that time. Self-education, selling a business via a t- telephone box in, in, on a council estate in, in Bristol and some really sage advice around cash flow and, and keeping costs down. You strike me as someone who's who's kind of seen the worst of life in a way from a young age, but also has really risen like any great people and smart people and hardworking people do. You've really risen to the top, as it were, and now you're imparting. Have there been some super dark moments along the way? Oh, sure. I mean, I think... And how, it, and how have you dealt with them? Uh, well, I, I, I think uh, dealing with them is maintaining a positive attitude. Um, and how do you do that? Because people say that, but I, I always yeah, interested, you know, it's easy to say. It is easy to say. It isn't as easy to do when you're in the pit. Because I, I say this with homeless people, you know, when someone's standing under a cash, sitting under a cash point, it isn't a lifestyle choice, no matter what anyone thinks. If it's lashing down with rain in November and it's two o'clock in the morning, it isn't a lifestyle choice. They're there for a reason. Something went wrong in their life and they didn't deal with it effectively for some reason. Um, and they've ended up as a casualty. So I think maintaining a positive attitude, and uh, I often say to young people, you know, young people often lack self-esteem, and uh, I think when you go into a room, you should always remember, if there are 10 people in there, that you're probably around about the middle in some way. You're probably possibly not the best-looking person in the room, but you're probably not the worst. You're probably not the fattest, but you're not the skinniest. And if you actually look at it like that and think, well, I'm all right, you know, uh, then it gives you a self-esteem. And I think confidence and self-esteem is so important, particularly for young people that often lack it. Um, So I think getting over difficult times in your life when things go wrong, you have to be philosophical about it. And just thinking about slightly wider, the government's role Mm. in encouraging entrepreneurialism, and that has changed massively over the last couple of decades. You're obviously in a position of some kind of, you know, a lot of authority in a way. People will listen to you. What are you telling government, if anything, to do about encouraging, creating the right environment for entrepreneurialism? Well, I think what I, my message to government is, um, uh, is basically that we need to develop a, a proper 
proper on, uh, entrepreneurial culture. And I think you need, we need to do that from a young age. I'd like to see modules brought into the education system younger, not necessarily waiting until people go to college and uni, but younger, getting it so that it's part of the fabric and DNA of the, of the country. If I can just say, I mean, my own um, idea is that for me, it's all about a, a joined up situation. What I'd like to say to government is that it's about, I, I look upon it as you've got to link the powerful horses of free enterprise with all their energy and power. You've got to link them to the carriage that follows behind, which is society and humanity. And if you don't, then the horses go off somewhere on their own and they don't take the carriage with them. So it isn't about, for me, it isn't about making the, the rich poorer. It's about making the poor richer, raising the bar. And the way we do that is to create the money in society that we can spend after on all the essential services that we all need. Yeah. But we need the money first. We need the money, and that's why people should listen to Dr. Stephen Fear. <laughs> now, just before I let you go, Stephen, and thank you so much for being my, my guest today, what is your song choice and why have you chosen it? Ah, well, my song choice is Louis Armstrong, and it's uh, a wonderful world. And uh, because I think that's what it is, no matter where you come from uh, in life, it doesn't matter where you come from. M where I look at it, it doesn't matter where you come from, it matters about where you're going. So wherever you are now, it is a wonderful world. Well, you've come a hell of a long way since Bristol and, May and, and Malmesbury. Stephen, thank you very much. This is your song choice. This is Louis Armstrong and what a wonderful world. I see trees of green Red roses too I see them bloom For me and you And I think to myself that was What a Wonderful World from Louis Armstrong, the song choice of my business shaper today, Stephen Fear, a very humble man from a very humble background, a self-educated one, someone who left school very early on but has voraciously read to ensure that he is super, super smart and educated and indeed now is an educator and someone who is imparting his knowledge about the world of business to the next generation of entrepreneurs. Do join me again, same time, same place, for another edition of Jazz Shapers at 9am next Saturday morning. In the meantime, stay with us here on Jazz FM, because coming up next, it's Nigel Williams. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal.